Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the book of James, chapter number 4. In this James chapter number 4, we're going to be looking in just a few minutes at verses 13 through 17 as we think about the subject of change of plans. Everybody makes plans. We plan for the future. We set aside money in a 401k, an IRA, or something along that lines that when that time comes that we have the desire to stop working and stay home and enjoy life, we might be able to do so. We make plans for the week ahead of us. I plan tomorrow to get out of my bed, get ready, go to work, come home. I've got some other things that need to be done. We make plans not only for tomorrow, but the week ahead. We've got plans for next month and next year. Two months ago, not one of us had planned to enter into what has been labeled a pandemic. Two months ago, we were at the church and the comment, I made the comment that so long as we can, we're going to gather together and meet according to everybody's desire. It was a week later that everything changed. All of our plans were changed. You know, no longer would we be meeting at church on a regular basis. I remember that first Sunday morning, I was sitting at home and the grandchildren were there. I looked at my wife, I said, we need to do something, but I don't know what to do. I said, what do you think? And, and we talked about it and contemplated it. I said, well, everybody else is doing Facebook Live. Why can't we? And so we did. And then we done it Wednesday night and the next Sunday. Wednesday night, now that was not one of my plans, but that was something that come upon us. And so we did what we were able to do. Five years ago, I had not planned that this would happen. Miss Barbara said, do you realize that the last service you preached in this pulpit was the five-year anniversary of the very first service you preached in this pulpit as pastor of this church? Again, not my plan. We look at the weeks that have passed and things have taken place that were unplanned. Again, I was talking to Brother Jesse Butcher. I said, Brother Jesse, how are you doing? He said, I'm okay, but I can tell that the usual Brother Jesse, who's always so happy and excited, uh, was a little discouraged. Why? Because his plans had changed. He had anticipated being in New Mexico and Texas and all of these other places, but meeting after meeting was canceled, and, and he had to change his plans. And yet through it all, God has provided. About four weeks ago now, my wife and I were at home and I got a telephone call from Hope Tree Family Services. I said, Nick, I said, yes, sir. He said, we've got three children that need to be placed. And it's going to be an emergency placement. They're going to need somewhere to go relatively quickly. And he gave me their ages and a little bit of their information. And he asked, would we be interested? Would we be able to take those children in? I talked to my wife and, and we said yes. And we've said yes time and time again. And yet we've never had children to come into home. The next day, I got another phone call. Nick, they've chosen you. And these children are going to be coming. And, and immediately, there was a change in our plans. Our day-to-day changed in a moment. It's what the Bible might would call the twinkling of an eye. And so late one night, it was a Wednesday night after church, as a matter of fact, we got the phone call. They were on the way. And, and for almost three weeks to the day, we had three children in our home. Now, you talk about changing plans. That will change your plans relatively quickly. I mean, that was an eye-opening experience. We went from being my wife and myself, empty nesters, 
to having three little ones who were completely dependent upon us. Overnight, we became mom and dad once again, not that we would ever try to replace a child's parents, but we were filling the role of mom and dad, school teacher, principal, and all of the rest, you know, custodian. I told my wife, I feel like all I did for three weeks was sweep the floor. She said, I feel like all I did for three weeks was wash clothes. That was not a part of our plans, but it was a part of God's plan. Even prior to my creation, God had planned that we would house those children for those three weeks. What we must learn, according to the scripture, is this. There are two sets of plans for each of our lives. I've got my plan, and then God has his plan. What we need to do is be flexible. I believe it to be okay that, that we make plans. It is a good thing. You look to the book of Proverbs and you read of that ant who makes plans. And that ant puts away for the winter that it might have that which is sufficient to meet its needs uh, throughout the course of that season. It is a good thing to plan for the future. But we must be flexible. We must not get to that place where we say, God, this is my plan. God, this is what I'm going to do, no matter what you have to say concerning the matter. And so we look to the book of James, and, and James writes concerning this very subject in chapter number 4. In verse number 13, James says, Go to now, ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city, and continue there a year, and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Heavenly Father, again this morning we do thank you for your goodness. And Lord, we truly thank you that we have the privilege to, to be here. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to, to preach to your people. And I pray now that you would give me the words to speak that so desperately need to be heard. Father, I pray that you would meet with us in a way in which you never had before. And Father, I pray that you would do something at this church, even in this service. Father, I pray not only for this church, but churches all around that in the midst of this, there might be a revival that would break out in, the, in, in this state, in this nation, all across the world. Lord, that there might be that rekindling, that there would be those that would stand up and, and profess the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that there would be those who would be saved, that there would be those who would give their lives, that they would commit themselves to do your will and to do your work. Father, let it begin right here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. James is the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. If anybody knew about a change of plans, I believe it to be James himself. James, of course, would have been a carpenter just like his father there in uh, Jerusalem. He would have been a furniture builder, a cabinet maker, a, a home construction uh, worker. He would have been a man that knew how to work with his hands, and I'm sure a good carpenter he would have been. And yet, Jesus Christ would change everything. He would not admit or not realize that Jesus was the Messiah, having grown up in that same home. And yet when Christ would die on that cross and be risen again the third day, James realized that all of that in which the Lord had said had proven true. 
And so James would be what we might call the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, you find here the book of James that he is writing to the 12 tribes which have been scattered. He is writing to the Israelites who have put their faith in the resurrected Christ. He is writing unto those who are now Christians, a part of that early church. He has a heart for them, a burden for them. He is in trying to encourage them and be a help to them. And so he says in verse number 13, Go to now ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city, and continue there a year at buy and sell and get gain. Here James is dealing with what I would call man's plan. Every man has a plan. James is writing concerning those who would be merchants of that day. If we were to look at it in view of Martinsville, Virginia, these would be the men who would go all about Martinsville, Virginia and find that one thing that Martinsville, Virginia is famous for and buy up all they can in the day, it would have been furniture. These men, these, these merchants, they would have gone to every factory they could, every furniture store they could, every cabinet maker, every woodworker that they could. They would buy all of the furniture they could buy. Why? That they might take it to Roanoke. And they're going to take that furniture to Roanoke and they're going to sell it there and make a profit. And so they have $500 in Martinsville. They've invested in $500 worth of furniture. They've taken it to Roanoke. They've tripled their money. They've made $1,500. They take that $1,500 and they invest in that in which only Roanoke has to offer. Now, I don't know what that would be, but let's just say Roanoke is that place where you can grow the greatest tomatoes that this world's ever known. They take that $1,500 and they invest it in those homegrown Roanoke tomatoes. They take those tomatoes and they go off to Charlottesville. And they sell those tomatoes and they make a profit. Now they have $3,000. They take that $3,000 and they invest in something in which Charlottesville only has to offer. And then they take that product into Richmond and they sell in Richmond and they continue to make a profit. And they continue to go from one town, one providence to the next. And they purchase that in which that town is famous for. They take it to another town. They sell it that they might be able to make a profit ultimately with the goal that eventually they would be able to make enough money to come back home and retire and enjoy the gold years of their life. Is there anything wrong with that? Is there anything wrong with making plans? Is there anything wrong with making a profit? Absolutely not. Is there anything wrong with going into business in hopes that you might be able to provide for your family, that you might be able to offer yourself a future that has some security about it? No, there's nothing against these things. The problem is oftentimes we make these plans and there's no leniency. There's no desire about us that we might change our plans according to the will of God. I was listening to Dr. Adrian Rogers this week. He was speaking of a man in his church who had done very, very, very well for himself. He had made a ton of money. Adrian Rogers asked this man, said, how is it that you have done so very well for yourself? He said, well, Dr. Rogers, this is what I did. Many, many years ago, I decided I was going to start my own business. I was going to start my own corporation. And I told God that I wanted to go in business with him. And I promised God that I would make him the senior partner of my business. I would take 49% and I would give him 51%. And he was true to his word. He gave 51% of that profits 
51% of control, 51% of that business unto Almighty God, and God blessed the 49% that He kept for Himself. It is a good thing. It's a good thing to make plans. It's a good thing to make investments. It's a good thing to concern yourself with your future, but it is a better thing to allow yourself to be influenced of God when that time does come. Look at Luke in chapter number 12. Luke in chapter number 12, verses 16 through 21. You know this uh, story. You know these scriptures. Jesus Christ gives us the parable of the rich fool. And the Bible says, He spake a parable unto them, saying, the, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns, and I will build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall these things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. You've got this man that God had blessed and God had blessed abundantly. Jesus Christ called him a rich man. And this rich man had went out and plowed his field. He had went out and sowed a crop. And he looked and he realized that he had the crop of a lifetime. This was the greatest season he had ever known. He looked out and realized that he was going to reap more than he ever had at this point. And so he asked himself, what am I going to do? If I go and I reap all this crop and I put all of this crop on the market, there's going to be an influx of crop. And so it's not going to be worth near as much as it would be if there was a shortage. You've got the law of supply and demand. If you've got an influ a, a great influx of something, it's not worth near as much as it would be if you don't have enough of it. Toilet paper, for example. Not something I ever thought we would use as, a, as an illustration at church. But there was a time, as a matter of fact, I saw a little cartoon, if you will. It said, in my day, when I was a young person, toilet paper was in such abundance, we used to throw it up in the trees. And we know people used to go out and roll other people's homes and all the I've never done that. Some of you, I'm sure, probably have. But they said, back in my day, toilet paper was absolutely worthless. I mean, it was a great thing to have. It's a, it's a nice commodity. But it was 50 cents a roll, 40 cents a roll, or whatever it might be. Now you look and you can't find it anywhere and people are selling it in, the, in, in, in different locations and they're making money off of toilet paper, something that to you and I would seem to be absolutely worthless. It's the law of supply and demand. You will pay for that in which you need. And so this rich man begins to think to himself, okay, if I go out and I reap all of this harvest and I bring all of this to the market, it's not going to be near worth as much as it would be if there was a shortage. What am I going to do? No, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build greater barns. And I will take that harvest and I will place it in those barns and then when the, the, the need is greater, I will sell it and I might be able to make more money for myself. Now I imagine that rich man was pretty proud of himself. He is scheming. 
He is thinking about what he might be able to do to pad his own pockets without any concern whatsoever of the general public. God looks at him and says, This very night, because of that scheming, because of, of that heart, or even that heartlessness about you, your very soul is going to be demanded of you. That's man's plan. Man has a plan. And oftentimes man is not willing to, to bend. Man is not willing to be flexible. When God looks down and says, that's not the way I would have you to go. Instead, I would have you to go yet another way. Look in verse number 14, you find a major problem. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor. That appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. We look back to these merchants. We're going to leave Jerusalem. We're going to enter into Capernaum. We're going to leave Capernaum and go to this place and to that place. James is saying, you don't even know if you're going to be alive tomorrow. You do not know what the future holds. Now, James is not discouraging the people to not make plans. James is encouraging them to understand that they must be multiple. Isaiah in chapter number 55 and verse number 8. And most of us know this verse of Scripture. But God is talking to Isaiah, and Isaiah is going to offer these words to the nation of Israel. And the Bible says this, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, so many times we make those plans. We, we decide that this is what we're going to do. As a matter of fact, I've almost gotten to a place where I despise making plans because it seems every time I make a plan, something comes in to throw a wrench into that thing. But so many times we'll sit on Sunday afternoon and we'll start looking at the week ahead and we'll say, well, Monday, I really need to accomplish this thing and we'll write that down. And Tuesday, it would be great if I could go and, and take care of this. Wednesday, I need to go and run some errands. I've got some bills that need to be paid. Thursday, I really ought to go to the grocery store. Friday, I'm going to mow the grass. And, and, and then comes Saturday, I'm going to be able to just enjoy a day of comfort and relaxation. But then Friday it rains, so you can't mow the grass. Thursday is just a miserable day to go to the grocery store. So you, you start thinking that you're going to change some things up. Well, instead of paying bills Wednesday, I'll do that Tuesday afternoon after I've done this other thing. I'll mow the grass Wednesday in, in, instead of paying bills. That way Friday when it's raining, I don't have to worry about that. And the next thing you know, everything is chaos. Come Saturday, that day you thought you were going to be able to relax and just enjoy the, the goodness of God. You find yourself trying to catch up from all the plans that you were not able uh, to take care of the week prior to. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But what we do know is this, we've only been given a short period of time. You think about your life. What is life? It's but a vapor. Everybody's seen the hourglass. Big on top, big on bottom, small in the middle. That hourglass is full of sand. You take it, you turn it over, and that sand begins to go from the top of that hourglass slowly down to the bottom. After an hour, guess what? All the sand has left the top and entered into the bottom. You think about your life. Not as an hourglass, but as a, a life glass. There is but so much sand in the top of that glass. And that sand continually, minute after minute, hour after hour, day after day, flows down to the bottom. And there is coming a time, whether we like it or not, 
There is coming a time that that last grain of sand is going to find itself at the bottom of that glass and our life will have come to an end. Your life is but a vapor. What are you going to do with that, that small segment of life that God has given unto you? I ask that question for this reason. For the past two months, we've been scratching our heads, asking ourselves, what are we going to do? Are we ever going to be able to come together and meet at the church again? What is the new normal? What's going to take place next week, next month, even next year? I've been contemplating these things myself. And I ask myself this question, what have I done in the past six months? What have I done in the past five years? What have I accomplished since God has called me to Spring Street Baptist Church? And as I think about what I've done, I begin to question myself. I have not accomplished near any of the things that I had hoped to accomplish at this point. We are not near where I would like to be five years into this ministry. And so I began to ask myself, what am I going to do with the remainder of the time that God would allow me to be in this place? Am I at that place that I'm willing to say, okay, God, no longer my will, but thy will be done. God, no longer is it about me and seeing what I can accomplish, but God, what you might be able to accomplish through me. Verse number 15, we see the master's purpose. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. If the Lord will, that is great wisdom there. You find Jesus Christ. He's at the, the lake of Genesis. You've got Peter, James, and John. These rugged, old, stinking, nasty fishermen. Jesus Christ would make his way. The crowds are following after. They want to hear a word from the Messiah. Jesus Christ makes his way there to the seashore. The boats are there, but the men are not to be found. They are uh, on land cleaning their nets. Jesus looks to Peter. Hey, Peter, I need to teach the people, but I need a little distance between myself and them. Peter, how about allowing me to step into your boat and, and, and thrusting out just a little ways that I might be able to speak? Peter, no. <coughs> Somewhat of who Jesus was at this point. And so he would allow the master to enter into his boat and they would cast off a short distance. <laughs> Jesus would teach those who were standing on the shore to prove that he was the Christ, because at this point many are still skeptical. To prove that he truly was the, the Son of God, that he was Emmanuel, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings. He would look to Peter and say, Peter, I want you to cast your nets for a drought. Peter says, Lord, we've been fishing all night long. We have absolutely nothing to show for our labors. As a matter of fact, when I go home, I've got to tell my wife that we've been on the lake all evening and have nothing to show for it. James and John, I, sh I, I would feel confident that they're agreeing with Peter. We've already come in. We've labored. We're tired. We're hungry. We're dirty. We just want to take a bath, go home, get some rest. Guess what? We've got to do this again tonight. We've already cleaned the nets. 
I mean, we are ready to put an end to this day. Nevertheless, Lord, if that's what you would have me to do, Lord, that's not in my plan. My plan is to go home, lay down, and take a nap. But Lord, if it's your plan, I am willing to be flexed. I am willing to do what you would have me to do. And so Peter would cast out, let down the nets. And as he would begin to raise them again, the nets would begin to break at the great drop of fishes that he would bring in. He was willing to allow the Lord to change his plan. He was willing to be flexible. The Bible says at that point, he and James and John forsook everything they had. They turned their back on their families. They turned their back on their home. They turned their back upon their father. They turned their backs upon their business, all of the worldly assets that they had accumulated. They forsook all, the Bible says, that they might follow Christ. A few chapters later in Luke's Gospel, you've got this rich young ruler. Exact opposite of these nasty old stinking fishermen. You've got this rich young ruler. He would come up in, in his royal guard. Surely he's got on the, the whites and the purples, the crown and all the rest. He comes up and asks the Lord Jesus, what must I do to, to be saved? What must I do that I might know eternal life? Jesus Christ looks to this, this young man, this what we would call a good man, a noble man, a well-to-do man, and says, well, you know the commandments. Love God with all of your heart. Do right by your mother and father. You know the Ten Great Commandments. Just, just do that. Well, Lord, I've, I've done all of that. Even from my youth, I've done all those things. I'm a, a good man. I'm sure he had a little bit of self-righteousness about him. Jesus looked and he said this. If you would be perfect, if you would be complete, I mean, if, if you would just pound that final nail into the coffin, Sell everything you got. Take the monies that come in and give them to the poor and follow me. He offered the same words to Peter, James, and John. They were willing to do so. And they would follow after the Christ. And you see how Christ would bless them. We've got this rich young ruler who walked away sad and disheartened. Why? Because he had great goods. He had great riches. It was the love of money that would cause him not to be able to follow after Christ. And as far as we know, he died and went to a devil's hell. Why? He was not willing to change his plans. We continue to read in verse number 16, and the Bible speaks of a malignant pride. But now you rejoice in your boastings for all such rejoicing is evil. You rejoice in your boastings. You go about telling everybody what you're going to do. I'm going to go here and I'm going to go there. I'm going to make all of this money. Just wait, boys. When I come back in 36 months, I'm going to own this ham. That sort of boasting, James says, that is evil. That is wickedness. That is the devil who has found himself, gotten a foothold in your life. You're not boasting on what God can do through you. You're boasting upon what you are going to do for yourself. And all such boasting is evil. I've heard some great preachers. I mean men who, who God had blessed with that silver tongue. 
They could stand in the pulpit and preach and preach and preach and it would be absolutely wonderful to listen to. But then oftentimes some of those preachers would allow Satan a foothold. And, they, and, and that evil one would come in and before you know it, that one would no longer stand in the pulpit and exalt the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he would have such a following, there would be such a crowd that he would start lifting up himself. And he would stop saying, look at what God has done. And he would start saying something along the lines of, look what I've done. Look what we've accomplished. Look at what we've done over at this church. Look at how it's grown and not how God has grown it. All such boasting, the Bible says, is evil. Finally, verse number 17, we see a meaningful profession. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. I was reading after John Phillips, one of my favorite commentators. John Phillips wrote concerning this verse that there was a night that he was having family devotions. And they come to James chapter number 4 and verse number 17 and he read this verse. And one of his children said, Dad, what does that mean? John Phillips said, well, this is what it means. If you came home and you looked and you saw your mother laying on the couch, she was tired, she wasn't feeling good, she was sick, and you saw her laying there and you walked into the kitchen and, and realized that the sink was full of dishes, what would you do? John Phillips said his child told him, I'd get her some Geritol so she'd feel better and go in there and get the dishes washed. <laughs> but no, we must, we must really ask ourselves that question. What would we do? Would we go in there and as a good child, one that honors mother and father, would we go in and, and wash those dishes and remove that burden from her? Or would we leave those there that she might be able to get them when she's feeling a little better? James says to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. What good has God allowed us to do? What opportunities have, have come your way even in these past two months? I know we've been uh, stuck in our home. We've not been able to go out and do all the things that we'd like to do. But each and every one of us have been given an opportunity, an opportunity to do something for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of us have been given opportunity to make known the name of Almighty God. When that opportunity comes, and we don't make the most of that opportunity, when we don't redeem that time as it presents, our, presents itself unto us, the Bible says to us, that is sin. It doesn't seem that it would be sin in itself. But if you know the right thing to do, the opportunity presents itself to you, and you do not do it to you, that is sin. You say, but that's not part of my plan. That's not part of what I had decided I was going to do this way. It does not matter what you decided you were going to do. It does not matter what your plans are. Again, there are two sets of plans for your life. There is your plan, and there is God's plan. Far better, far better to be in God's plan. Far better to be walking hand in hand with the Lord. Far better to be in the midst of His will than to have all the riches and all the things that this world has to offer. I want to ask everybody to stand this morning with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Brother Bill, I'm going to ask you to come and cut this off for me.
But I'm going to ask you all this question this morning. What opportunity has been given you? Has there been a, a, a time that you could do good, you did not? There been someone to cross your path that had a need that you could have met, and you did. Has there been a time that you?